Thank you, Micah. It's great to be in church today. Amen? Amen. It's so good to see each of you. Last time I was here, I, I couldn't see your smiles, so it's good to, to be able to see your faces. I want to bring you greetings on behalf of the Birmingham Metro Baptist Association, 180 churches serving the Lord together. But I also want to say hello on behalf of the 3,200 Alabama Baptist churches and, of course, our whole convention, 48,000 or so churches uh, over 14 million of us in this family of faith that we call Southern Baptist. It's amazing how much more we can do when we work together as opposed to each church just doing their own thing all the time. So we're grateful to have that privilege. Thank you for your gifts to the cooperative program that fuels missions endeavors through the IMB, through the North American Mission Board, six seminaries, the ERLC, and other ministries, and also what God is doing right here in the state and one ministry I'm very grateful for is disaster relief. And our disaster relief teams from associations all over have been working hard over the past several months with the storms. And it's great to be able to share Christ in a time of crisis. So I want to thank Elkdale for your part in that. I know some disaster relief team members are here. So we're thankful for your ministry through that important organization, the Yellow Shirt Army, we call them. Uh, they go out in mass and do great things. I'll never forget, many years ago as a young pastor on the west side of Birmingham, we were preparing for our Easter services and actually had uh, the choir music team on the platform and we had a weather radio and a phone call that told us we need to get into a safer place and we did that. And wow, as we did, that storm intensified and that night... Uh, it was a devastating event. An F5 tornado came through our community as I was serving on that side of Birmingham. And there were 32 people who lost their lives. This morning, a precious lady standing here at the front uh, after the service told me that her mother was one of those 32 that passed away in that awful event that impacted Edgewater, McDonald's Chapel, Pratt City, and parts of Birmingham and Pleasant Grove. And I'll, I was so relieved when those buses and trucks started arriving from all over our Southern Baptist world, people coming, converging there to help us clean up. And the debris was being moved out of the way so that survivors could get free, pets could get out, and people could get their pictures and belongings. Just that debris and that weight of all of that reminded me of the text this morning that we're going to be looking at because I believe there are people around us in this community and all over the state and across the world that are under the weight of sin and shame and guilt. Some of them are under a weight of an oppressive religion that isn't Christianity, that isn't of Christ. So I want to ask you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to read verses 25 through 30. And the message this morning is titled, Jesus Promises to Those Who Come. Jesus promises to those who come. And today we're going to see his promises to each of us who are here today hearing God's word. Beginning in verse 25 of Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. 
Verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. May we pray? Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this simple three-word sermon, Come Unto Me. And Lord, I pray for anyone watching uh, this webcast or here in this worship sanctuary, God, that if there's anyone who's yet to do so for salvation, Lord, that they would come to you and find freedom in your name, in your death on the cross and resurrection. And Lord, for those of us who need to come closer to you, I pray that today, through the preached Word of God, that you would call out to us and draw us near to yourself. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So thinking about Matthew, what an interesting character the Lord chose to give us this gospel. Most uh, conservative scholars still believe that Matthew wrote the gospel of Matthew, and I do as well. All the way back to 130 A.D., a testament to him being the author of this particular book of the Bible. And he was a tax collector that the Lord called out to be his disciple. And just an amazing thought that that would have been on the level as far as the strata of the social network at that time. He would have been like a robber or a murderer. That's how tax collectors were viewed. But he produced this gospel, this record of what our Lord said and what he did he did it in such a way it became the heartbeat of the church actually the liturgy of the church for over 1700 years has used Matthew as the primary gospel and filled in from the other gospels where there are other insights to be added and so in this great gospel of Matthew all the way back to chapter 3 we find that John the Baptist announced that Jesus was that Messiah, the coming king, and that his king had come, and we need to repent and prepare. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and by chapter 5, he preaches that ethic and sermon of the kingdom, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the Beatitudes and everything to follow, chapters 5 through 7, and then chapters 8 through 10. We find that Jesus and his disciples begin doing, doing amazing miracles and serving the Lord, and being that presence of God in his kingdom. But the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they rejected Jesus Christ. They rejected his kingdom. And we see that the pages turn in chapter 12, and the ministry starts to focus on those outside of the house of Israel to the Gentiles. But before that happens, in chapter 11, in the text we just read, Jesus gives this beautiful invitation. Come to me. Perhaps the greatest three-word sermon ever preached. Jesus simply saying, come to me, God in the flesh. Come to me, your Redeemer. Come to me, the perfect Messiah who will die on the cross for your sin and rise again. Come to me, the one the prophets said over 400 times in the Old Testament. The one who would come to be that realization of the Davidic king who would sit on the throne forever come to me. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give you just four simple promises from the text that we've read. Promises to those who would come to Jesus. And the first one is this. 
Jesus promises rest to those who come to him. Jesus promises rest to those who come to him. And it's amazing, he says it twice. He says, I will give you rest, I will give you rest, and he goes on, for your souls. So if you're here today and you feel restless and apart from Christ, he is your rest. And it's interesting, we do live in a restless world. If we zoom out, we look at it from a 30,000 foot view, there's a restless culture out there, a people who are apart from God. And, you know, I, I just remember as a child not being raised in a Christian home, and I understood, even though I was not raised in a Christian home, that the Bible was a special book. We even had one on our coffee table, even though we didn't read it. You know, we had it there, and I knew that you didn't put it on the floor. I knew that you didn't sit a drink on it. It was to be held in reverence. Even before I ever read the Bible, I believed it. And, and then the church building down the street in my community, I knew that that was a special place. I knew that that's where truth was taught. I knew that before I even went in there. But I want to tell you today, Elkdale, that there are people around us in this community, in our state, and around the world that will have to read the Bible before they believe it because they have never been taught that as a part of culture. That culture is not what it once was, unfortunately. We have to be aware of that. Aware of that. And so we do live in a time where there is a restless culture. We do live in a time when there is restlessness regarding religion. There are so many who, if they are religious or spiritual, they are leaning their ladder against the wall of works. And their spiritual journey upward and onward for them is what they can do. I must do this, and I must do that, I must do this, and I must do that. When we, in Elkdale Baptist Church, and in Baptist churches around the state, we hope and pray, we teach it's not about what we do, but about that cross. It's what Jesus has done for us that we can never do for ourselves. So there's restlessness regarding religion. There's restlessness in the family. Families around us are hurting. And we have generations of children that are being raised without two parents in the home, some without even one parent in the home. And so the family structures around us are crumbling. So there's restlessness about that, but there's restlessness in the individual. And some people are dealing with that restlessness that comes without finding wholeness in our identity in Christ. They address it in different ways, some through drugs and alcohol. I was reading this past week, and this statistic, it really struck my heart because I've seen it after 25 years of pastoring before being in a denominational role, you know, talking to families in my community and in my church, that for every one addict who's addicted to drugs or alcohol, there are five people at least around them in their lives that are deeply impacted by their struggle. Think about that. So for every addict, every person who struggles with addiction, there are at least five people who are going through that struggle with them because of their pain and because of what they're doing. 41% of people, according to Gallup, are suffering through physical, psychological, and social harm 
from someone in their life that's drinking or using drugs. Think about that. So people who don't have wholeness in Christ, they look for it in illicit relationships. They look for a solution to their restlessness through their achievements or their religion or even drugs or alcohol. When Jesus here, he gives us this simple promise, come to me and you will find rest in me. I want to give you that second promise now. Second promise right here in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, is Jesus not only promises rest, he promises a framework or a yoke. He promises a framework for life or a yoke. If we go on in the text, he says, Come to me, you who are laboring or heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 28, take my yoke upon you. Some of you raised on a farm, you understand the agrarian life, and in Palestine, they would yoke primarily oxen to work the land. And so these yokes would have been made out of wood and straps of leather. And in the hands of an oppressor or someone who was cruel, these yokes would have been very harsh. And the people in Jesus' day were living under the burden and the yoke of the religious leaders of the day who taught that religion was what we do. It wasn't what God has done for us. It wasn't salvation by faith, by grace through faith. It was salvation by works of the law. And they had outlined the 613 commandments of God, but they had augmented those with the traditions of the elders that formed a fence around those so that they wouldn't even come close to breaking the law. And those preferences and those traditions became such a heavy burden that Jesus cried out against them. And so that was a heavy, oppressive yoke of sin and shame and this unapproachability that seemed to be there between them and God. They could never be whole with God. They could never find peace in their life. And Jesus says, come unto me and take this yoke of sin and shame and let me exchange it for the yoke of my presence. So in the rabbinical tradition, the rabbi taught of the yoke this way. It was a yoke of discipleship. And so... Uh, as in, a, in, in two oxes in a farm, they might pair a strong and experienced ox with one who is less experienced and weaker. And that stronger one would teach the, the weaker one how to do the work. And the rabbi would take along an apprentice or a protege, and they would show them the ways of God. And so here Jesus is saying, would you like to be yoked with me? Would you like for me to bear the burden?" Would you like for me to be your master and for you to be my, my protege? Would you like for me to pour my life into you? And so for those of us, maybe you're like me, who were not raised in a Christian home. When I grew up, my first moments in learning to pray, I stood at the picture window of my home around the time my father would be coming that way. And I learned to pray, praying by looking out at the road saying, God, I hope my father didn't stop off at the county line this morning to pick up alcohol on his way home from the coal mines. I hope that, that he is that nice, gentle father that he was when he didn't drink. And so my default mode, my understanding of what it means to be a man, I've had to learn that later on in life from men like you in the church. Because I didn't see that growing up. I've had to learn that through pouring over the pages of God's Word. And frankly, I needed to be yoked up with Jesus. 
in order to be the father that, that God wants me to be, in order to be the husband to Carol that I need to be, in order to be the churchman and the community man that I know that God wants me to be, I couldn't do that in my own strength. I have to be yoked up with Christ. And you, man of God, you have to be yoked up with Christ. You have to walk with Jesus. He will show you how to plow the field. He will show you how to live this life. You know, the Pharisees and their ceremonial washings, the phylacteries that they wore, you may be familiar with this. When I went to Israel and I was able to see this with my own eyes, the Orthodox Jews standing at the Wailing Wall, they'd do their washings, and they would wear the, the, the cube-shaped leather boxes with a scroll inside on their forehead and then on their left arm, and they would have the long blue fringes that signified their closeness to God, and they would stand there and pray and cry out and, and tuck papers away into the wall in order to find some kind of sense of forgiveness and, and a relief from the shame and the burden of the law. But you know, it's like the old hymn, Amazing Grace. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. And I'm so grateful for that. That the burden of the law that teaches me the holiness of God is that same grace that relieves that burden by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's His promise. He will give you that yoke. He will bear that burden. Number three. Third promise. I love this one right here in the text. Jesus promises gentle and humble leadership. I'm so grateful for that. He says... For take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. It reminds me of the text over in Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. And I love this text. I usually preach it around Christmas time. Uh, Philippians 2 verse 5. Have this mind among you which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born rather in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's what my Jesus did for you. He became a humble servant. The God of all creation came to this earth to live the perfect life that we couldn't live. And he served and he loved and he poured out his life on the cross. He bled and died for us in our place. And he rose again on the third day. Did he have to do that? No. But he chose to do that because he is that humble, gentle leader who loves his people enough to give his very life for us. Now, I know this is one facet of, of his attributes. And he is a God that's a consuming fire. He's holy and just. But I'm grateful that for those who will humble themselves before him, that he is that gentle leader who lovingly leads us along. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 reminds us that Jesus, who is our sympathetic high priest, was tempted in every way just as we are. So all of the issues of life that we face, whether they be emotional physical, relational, whatever they are, related to resources, Jesus Christ, He understands because He's been here. And He is our great, humble leader. As a matter of fact, before Jesus went to the cross of Calvary for your sin, He washed His disciples' feet. 
And he told them that that's how they ought to treat others and each other. So that's our Lord. That's our Savior. He is that gentle and humble leader. And I'm grateful that I can serve that kind of leader. Uh, I found this song. It was written 50 years ago by Bob Dylan. And I have to admit to you, I'm not a Bob Dylan fan at all. Uh, don't like the way he sings. He sounds like he's talking. It's not my favorite. But he did have some insight in this one song. He said, you might be an ambassador to England or France. You might like to gamble. You might like to dance. I hope that's not any Baptist. Uh, uh, you might be the heavyweight champion of the world. You might be the socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it might be the devil. It might be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. And I will tell you, he got that one right. You're either going to wear the yoke of sin and shame and the oppression of living under the weight of the law, or you're going to live with the yoke of the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will. I love what Galatians 5 verse 1 says. Paul wrote, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's a good warning to us because I can be enslaved Sometimes I can be enslaved by my own preferences. You know, I, ha I have my own way that I like church. I like to, to worship. I like to, uh, to serve the Lord. I like to view my life. And sometimes I want to take those things that are not necessarily biblical, and I want to push someone else into that mold. And I have to be very careful about that. I never want to commit the sins of the Pharisees and the scribes of Jesus' day who were very religious. They loved the greetings in the marketplaces. They loved to wear the special religious outfits, but they didn't have a heart for God, and they didn't love people. That's awful. Number four, fourth promise. Jesus promises a light burden. Jesus promises a light burden. He says, you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is, what's that next word, church? Easy, easy. And my burden is, what's the next word? Light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I would rather carry the yoke and burden of walking with my Savior who can carry any burden for me than I would trying to carry the weight of the world. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon Him, that's Jesus, for He cares for you. So Jesus, our burden bearer, He gives all of us who trust in Him rest from the endless, fruitless effort to save ourselves. You know, I, I mentioned that I wasn't raised in a Christian home. But there came a time after hearing the Word of God and hearing the Gospel that I fell under conviction. You may know exactly what I'm talking about. I sensed the weight of my shame and my sin and my guilt. I was just bearing that in a heavy way. And one night I was having such a difficult time going to sleep because of that. I knew that if I drew my last breath, I would spend an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. I knew that. And so that night when I did go to sleep, I had a dream and I saw myself looking into a mirror surrounded by flames, 
scared me to death. Woke up, that week went by, and guess what? Before that next Sunday, someone invited me to church. I went to church that morning, and that morning the pastor preached the most simple message on how Jesus died in our place. He used the text from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And I understood by hearing his sermon that Jesus Christ died for my sin and that if I would trust in him, that there would be a great exchange. He would take my sin burden away and he would replace that with his righteousness in my life. And so I did something that was totally against my nature, being the most shy young man you would ever meet. I mean, super shy. No one would ever dream I'd be standing up here in front of anybody. That morning, I just couldn't sit where I was. As a matter of fact, I was so shy, I told them this morning, and I think I mentioned it before, that's how I met Carol, my wife. We were in high school band together. She was standing in front of me. I did not have the guts to talk to her or to meet her. And so as we were lined up for the parade, she stood there too long, and she passed out and landed in my arms, and that's how I met my wife. And so, you know, God said, this boy is such a fool, I'm going to have to throw a girl in his arms, and he did. And she, what did she do? After high school, she ran off to Judson College, and that's no man's land, right? It's an all-female college. And so we, we long-distance dated. But back to, to that Sunday morning, when that pastor preached, I stood out in that aisle because I didn't know you could get saved any other way. I thought, I've got to go up there. That's the only way I can become a Christian. So I stepped out in the aisle, kind of walked very meekly to the front at the end of the sermon. And I told the pastor I didn't want to go to hell, that I, I wanted to go to heaven when I die. That, I mean, that's the basic understanding I had. And that I, I heard what he said, and I wanted to do that. I think that's exactly what I said. I want to do that. And so... I knelt down there, and I just, in my own words, I said, Jesus, forgive me. I love you. I just want to be a Christian. I mean, just very basic words. And church, I want to tell you, that morning, just the weight of my sin and shame, it was like somebody took a thousand elephants and lifted them off my shoulders. And if there's one thing that I would want for every person here or anyone watching online is for you to answer that simple three-word sermon of Jesus. Come unto me. Come unto me and experience life. You know, I, I, I think about the voices that we hear out in the world that say, you're going to find peace over here. You're going to find happiness over there. But I want you to tune those out this morning and just listen to Jesus. He said, come to me. He doesn't say, come to my religious experience. He doesn't say, come to my way of thinking. He doesn't say, come to my anything. My, my education system, come to my religious organization, none of that. He says, come to me. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. May we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, from heaven to earth, your only begotten Son, to live here, to teach us, 
to bring the kingdom to bear, but more importantly, to be our substitute, to die on the cross. And I'm grateful that you loved us enough by your grace to bid us, to ask us to come to you. And it's only by your grace we can do that. And so I pray for anyone here today who is yet to come to Jesus. And Lord, we could see him in, in our, the eye of faith standing before us with his arms outstretched. And he's saying, come. Come to me. Stop listening to the world. Stop listening to your fears. Stop listening to those who are far from me, but listen to me. Come to me, all who labor. You're tired. I will give you rest. Learn of me. And Lord, for those who are searching for that right answer, Lord, I pray that we would learn of you. I'm thankful for your words to Thomas in the upper room when you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes into the Father except through me. Lord, we come. We come to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.